God often equips us before he calls us. If he's equipped you with this gift, don't be too quick to give it up because it may be the vehicle you use to fulfill this calling. Well, welcome to the Influencers Podcast, and it's a joy to have the producer of this podcast, Christiane Debussing, serving as a co-host today. Welcome, Christiane. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so looking forward to our conversation today with um, our guest and just really, really excited. He's someone that I have just admired his work for many, many years, and so I am excited we get to chat with him. Hey, same here. Uh, We're talking about Jerry Jenkins. He's written more than 200 books. Jerry, how is that possible? 200 books. Wow. Yeah, my kids tease me, Dave and Christiane. They say they think I've written more books than I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) And that includes 21 New York Times bestsellers, 72 million copies, and you're known, you know, for the biblical fiction, end times, of the Left Behind series. And you were telling us that was 27 years ago? 27 years ago this week. In fact, it might even be today or tomorrow that the first um, book came out. And when you were talking about, you know, how, how does a person write 200 books? I, I don't want to be falsely modest, but I honestly believe that I'm mono-gifted. I don't sing or dance or preach. Writing is my gift, and I feel obligated to, to exercise it. So... Uh, that's that's my only defense for being so prolific, I guess. <laughs> that's great. And this is also interesting, which I didn't know, uh, but you've written several biographies, including uh, Hank Aaron, Walter Payton, a.k.a. Sweetness, uh, Michael Singletary. Wow, wasn't he a great player for the Bears? Oral Hershiser. Okay, I'm a Giants fan, so I, it's hard for me to say yay too loud for that one, okay? And then uh, assisted Billy Graham with his autobiography. Wow. And you and your wife, uh, Diana, yep. married in 1971, live in beautiful Colorado Springs. I'll be going there in a few weeks for the Dobson show. Hmm. And you have three grown sons, one whom Dallas Jenkins is a co creator, co-writer, director of the Chosen television series, which uh, I'll tell you, for my team, there's not even a second favorite. So, Jerry, uh, I mean, still 200 books. That's amazing. 21 bestsellers. When you started doing this, did you ever dream that that would happen? No. In fact, ironically, it was never a goal. Um, a lot of people hear the number of books I've, I've written and the visibility and success and all that, and they assume that I was called to be a writer. And the irony of that is, is that as a young teenager, uh, I was a sports writer even before I was old enough to drive. I was covering high school games for the, the daily paper. So I've been a professional writer since, since teen years. But when, also when I was a teenager, I felt a definite call to full-time Christian work. And I remember the speaker at camp that night talked about all Christians are called to be full-time Christians, but some are actually called to make their living doing you know, the Lord's work. And I, I felt that call definitely. I felt under conviction. I went forward. And I, I even said to the counselor, I, I guess I'll have to give up this, 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 the writing and study for the pastorate or the mission field. And... Um, she was really wise. She said, you know, God often equips us before he calls us. If he's equipped you with this gift, 
don't be too quick to give it up because it may be the vehicle you use to fulfill this calling. And that has proved true. And it changed my whole view of success too. I don't, I don't write for the purpose of bestsellers or royalty checks or great reviews. I, I write to fulfill the call. And so by finishing a manuscript, I've obeyed. And to me, success is obedience. What happens to it after that? I have no control over that anyway. God and the marketplace decide whether a book will be successful. So it's, it's allowed me to write and in a sort of a refreshing way, I think. I mean, it refreshes me and I don't worry about the outcome. I just worry about obeying the call. That's outstanding. Now, our sports fans want me to ask, you know, why did you kind of segue into these autobiographies of Hank Aaron, Walter Payton, Singletary, and Oral Hershiser? How, how did that happen? Well, that all came because of my interest in sports, having been a sports writer and, and everything. And uh, before I got into to Christian journalism, I was a sports editor of a paper and that type of thing. But uh, so when these opportunities came along, I jumped at them. Uh, I think my fourth book ever was uh, the, uh, the autobiography of Hank Aaron. It was called Bad Henry. And uh, my boss actually at a Christian publishing house uh, had been assigned to, to write a book on Hank Aaron because Hank was a devout Catholic and they wanted somebody that might understand his faith. But uh, my boss came to me and he said, I know you were a sports writer. And he said, maybe you'd like to, uh, to write this book. Uh, he said, because I don't know that much about football. And I said, I said, you sure don't if you think Hank Aaron's a football player. But I, I sort of, I was 23 at the time and I, I, I was so exuberant about this opportunity that my boss caught on and said, well, we'll do it together. I'll handle the faith part. You can handle the sports part. But doing that book at that stage of my career really opened a lot of doors. And when I would go to you know, get an idea to do a book on Walter Payton or Hank or um, Nolan Ryan or Earl Hershiser, um, having that on my resume really helped to open those doors. And I, I've loved that part of my career. But like you say, most people don't even know that I've done that. They, they know those names. And my name was on the book too. I've had, I've had people ask me if I've read those books. They, they don't even notice my name on the cover. Uh, that is fascinating. Now, you had the, the joy of working with the late, great Tim LaHaye. I did as well uh, in Sacramento as part of the Traditional Values Coalition, uh, obviously a spiritual giant. And uh, I got to ask you, what's your favorite story in working with Tim? And then we'll ask you about uh, that series and how that changed your life. Uh, but what's your favorite story serving alongside Tim? Well, I have a couple. One, one is that, you know, he, he was kind of a polemic character. He was very outspoken, as you know, very conservative, and he would speak his mind and tell the truth. And so people saw him maybe as kind of a hard personality, uh, a truth teller. And uh, I saw him that way too, but, but getting to know him behind the scenes, I also saw that soft pastoral evangelistic side of him. We would be at a signing and there might be, you know, hundred people in line and we're interacting with the people and signing their books. And all of a sudden Tim would be gone and I'd look around and there he'd be in the corner praying with somebody. That was Tim. His heart was to share his faith and to pray with people who were in need. And so I love that soft side of him. The other part was he had such a good sense of humor and could laugh at himself. Uh, he was very hard of hearing, had, had hearing aids. One time we were at a signing in the South and, and the bookstore was real noisy and he forgot his hearing aids. And he whispered to me, he said, now, if, if people say something that I don't hear, hear 
tell me what they said because I, I, I can't hear what's going on with all this noise here. And a girl came through the line and, and uh, she said, well, it's nice to meet you, Dr. LaHaye. She said, I, I read your marriage book because I'm, I'm getting married in, in two weeks. And he just smiled at her. So I leaned over and I said, uh, she read your marriage book because she's getting married in two weeks. He said, oh, you're getting married. She said, yes. He said, when? She said, two weeks. He said, you should read my marriage book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that book, uh, that was must reading. That was actually a very courageous book uh, to write, uh, to say the least. And uh, so how, how did uh, the Left Behind series change your life and trajectory? Well, I, I think it's it was healthy that, that the phenomenon hit me when I was in my mid-40s, which ironically is the same age my son Dallas is when, now that the, the Chosen series has, has uh, kind of invaded his life. Uh, I don't know what I might have done with that kind of um, phenomenon if I'd been in my 20s. It might have turned my head. But I think by the time I, I did that, um, I, I had a little experience in the in the business. In fact, uh, I've been asked a lot, by, especially by the by the uninitiated, you know, uh, general mainstream press, uh, if I've written anything but the Left Behind series. The fact is, that first Left Behind book that came out 27 years ago this week was my 125th book. So, and it wasn't that the previous ones had been failures. I'd had some successes, including the the Billy Graham autobiography and, and many of those sports biographies and some of my fiction but nothing like left behind. And uh, it, it really was overwhelming. And uh, uh, it, did, it did impact me as well as, as readers because it gave me an urgency about um, the end times. Uh, this was Dr. LaHaye's you know, specialty. I'm not a theologian or a scholar, and he was. He's the one who kept me on track. Uh, he did allow me to do all the writing, which I appreciated, and it was fun, but he was a great cheerleader. And uh, I just, uh, like everybody else, felt this idea that uh, we're told to watch and wait for the imminent return. And the fact that it, it's mentioned as being imminent and the, and the Bible mention of that is 2,000 years old now, and now we're you know, many years beyond even the Left Behind series, all that says to me is that God and, and, and we have separate economies of time. Uh, to, to God, the Bible says, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is, is as a day. And in his mercy, he may wait one more day. To us, that would be a thousand years. To him, that's one day. It's, it is imminent to God. And so we're to watch and wait, but we're also to be urgent about it because it could be today, but it also could be a thousand years from now. So we need to, to stay at the task. Mm. Mm. So, Jerry, you have your new novel based on the Chosen television series. And so are these like your 200 novels in the series, you know, as far as the number that you've written? Are you As far as the number, I, you know, I recently did a book called Writing for the Soul, which is it's an update of my, my sort of writing memoir. And for that book, I, I had to count the number of titles I'd done to make sure I was right. And I had miscounted over the years. And so I think I'm around 206 now. And uh, okay. uh, so the, the one I'm working on today is the third one in the, in the, um, the, the series, the Chosen series. But uh, the one we're talking about is the one that's just you know, recently been released, uh, book number two, yes. uh, Come and See. As you've written these books, um, I, I know that part, the goal for this is for readers to get a better understanding of Jesus, 
his disciples, their ministry, and to do that in a just, you know, creative and imaginative way. Uh, why do you believe, you know, that it's important for us to uh, ha- get a sense of what Jesus and his disciples uh, may have dealt with on a, in their daily lives? I think what, what uh, Dallas's idea was when he created this series was that um, he's seen lots of other um, film versions or TV versions of the life of Christ and the people that surrounded him. And uh, he felt like that the characters were hard to identify with. And, you know, I've, I was raised in the church, went to Bible school and that type of thing, and uh, have been reading New Testament, especially all my life. And I confess that the, the disciples are hard, have been hard to relate to because I sort of saw them as statues or painting, you know, stained glass paintings, um, just just hard to, to get a handle on. And Dallas... Dallas's feeling is if we tell this story authentically, these people were real people. They were human. They had flaws. They made mistakes. They were jealous. They were petty. Um, you know, they were ambitious. Uh, now, Jesus is hard to identify with because he's perfect. And so the solution to that was to, to give him the sense of humor that's hinted at in the New Testament. That's why you see the humor in the, in the, uh, the Chosen series. And uh, somehow it makes, you know, people have said, this is the kind of Jesus I could follow. I could be his friend mm-hmm. and uh, and it would be rich. What we want, we want people who are believers to come back to their Bibles, back to their churches, back to Bible study, get to know Jesus in a new, fresh, authentic way. And for the people who are uninitiated, enjoy the series as sort of binge-worthy television that's got a, a real story and see yourself in these these characters and of course, our, our hope is that they come to faith through that. And, and uh, we say right in the beginning of every book that, you know, this is created and, and uh, put together by people who love the scripture, believe in it, and believe in Jesus and want you to do the same. That's our goal. That's our whole mission in, in doing this. As an author, though, and, you know, if, and for me, having been in publishing, I'm intrigued by that whole process. But as an author, how do you craft these stories, um, you know, and these compelling backstories and, you know, the thoughts and the motivations of, you know, these characters, keeping it based in scripture. And then what do you hope that the readers will take away from reading the series? Yeah, as far as how to do it, um, you know, that that's the, the tricky part. And especially with, with this setup, usually a TV series or a movie is based on a book rather than the other way around. I'm basing the novels on the, the show that's already been shown and people have seen it. And so I'm to add to that the inner monologue, the, the thoughts and feelings of the characters and invent even more backstory. The, the chosen writers, the, the script writers, Dallas and his two co-writers, have already imagined situations that might have led up to true events from Scripture. When, when he covers true events, they're almost mirrors of what you read in Scripture. But so many scriptural accounts are two or three verses. And to, to these guys, that, that can be a whole episode because they invent characters and conversations that fit that narrative. And then when they get to that actual event, they, they mirror that pretty well. I get to even add more to that and imagine more backstory. And the, the way I do that is I'll watch the episodes sometimes 20 times or more. And I've found that I never get tired of one scene. They move me emotionally every time. Uh, my, my joke is I've always thought that what my son Dallas has done in his career has been brilliant. Only this time I was right. And everybody seems to agree. 
so it's been really fun for me to, to be involved. Uh, I, I helped him get started in, in his career when he first got out of college. We had our own little t- movie studio and he produced several movies, but this one is his own. And so I sort of feel like I've pressed my nose up against the glass and said, can I play too? Hmm. You know, I love what you said that you write a book out of obedience. Uh, but is there a book or two? Let's, let's just uh, single one out where when you got done with it, you thought this is going to be a major bestseller. And it wasn't. And you were disappointed that more people didn't pick it up. Well, I do have a favorite of, of all the books I've ever written. Uh, there's a novel called Riven, R-I-V-E-N. I had the idea for it for years. I, I couldn't find a way to work it into my schedule with writing the Left Behind series and several other things. But I finally talked a publisher into it, and uh, and they, they liked the idea. And when I sat to write it, it just gushed from me. I loved how it turned out. I loved the, the product it became. Tyndale House published Riven. And uh, it did fairly well, but it was certainly not uh, Left Behind numbers. Uh, but o- often that's true with people who have had phenomenally best-selling books is that those books are not necessarily their favorites. Um, obviously, I'm, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for that Left Behind series, which to this day still sells about 15,000 units a month. It's just amazing. I, I never would have expected anything like that. But uh, but Riven is my favorite, and, and uh, Dallas likes it too, and so who knows, maybe someday it'll be a movie. Well, you got to tell us what it is. Now you got everybody's <laughs> attention. Well, like, I hope Why do you like it so? Well, I got the the idea was sort of interesting. I went to a, a writers conference that was held in a former uh, Catholic monastery, and it was an evangelical conference. But we were put in rooms that that had Catholic um, decorations in them, and my room had a crucifix on the wall. And I had always had sort of a pedestrian view of the difference between Catholics and evangelicals. And I would use all those cliches like, well, they worship the Christ on the cross. We worship the Christ of the empty tomb. And, you know, that's that's sort of a, you know, dismissive way to talk about the differences and not really fair. But for some reason, I studied that crucifix. It was right there in front of my eyes. And, and I, I thought, this is interesting. Our Catholic friends do not soft sell the agony of Jesus on the cross. I saw the thorns piercing his, his head. I saw the riven side. I saw the spikes in his hands and feet. And I thought that there's something to that. There's something we can learn from that, uh, that it's not just this beatific, you know, Jesus did this for us and that that's a beautiful story, but the agony he went through. Well, that idea was sort of banging around in my head for a while. And ironically, that location where I went to that writer's conference uh, is now Northwestern College in St. Paul, where Dallas happened to go to college a few years later. But uh, Anyway, I had that idea. And then I, I read Norman Mailer's Executioner's Song. It was a novel, not a novel, it was a documentary about a guy who had murdered two people and, and wound up on death row. And for some reason, his prison allowed him to choose his method of execution. He could choose between the gas chamber, firing squad, hanging, or electric chair. And because he had shot his victims and, and regretted it and knew that he was depraved, he chose firing squad. He thought that was appropriate. Well, that idea, along with that crucifix in my head, got me thinking about a character who commits murder, winds up in prison, and comes to faith in prison, and really gets immersed in scripture, and decides he wants to choose his method of execution. And so he petitions for this. 
Now I invent another character who winds up to be the warden who has a daughter who's estranged and, and away from the faith because of how her father's been treated when he was a small, small church pastor. But she's a lawyer. And this lawyer meets the, the, uh, the inmate who, who her father has led to faith. And he, he asks her to represent him and allow him to choose his method of execution. And he's allowed to choose crucifixion, not because he's going to be resurrected, not because he's trying to atone for his sin, but because he wants people to see what the agony that Jesus goes through on the cross. So that's the story. And I interweave this, the story of this pastor who becomes a, a, a chaplain and, uh, and this uh, main character. Um, and, you know, when I pitched it to the, to the publishers, they, they liked the idea. And uh, I think readers will like it too. It's, as I say, it's my favorite. Well, and that could be a future project for your son. That's right. He likes choosing your execution, chosen execution. Right. Yeah. That, huh. That, that, that's fascinating. Speaking of fascinating, you met Stephen King and he told you that he reads your books. Yeah. That was pretty bizarre. Yeah. We happen to have the same audio reader who reads our books on tape for, for audible and, and places like that. Uh, he was a man named Frank Muller, and he was the absolute best audio narrator in the world. He won most of the awards. Uh, everybody considered him the best. And uh, uh, he, he read everybody, Anne Rice and John Grisham and Pat Conroy and all those things. And I remember you know, trying to get him to read Left Behind, and, and we somehow succeeded. Um, Dr. Lahanna had to pay for that because it was a lot more to pay for a guy like Frank Muller than you would for a normal Christian book. But anyway, he had a horrible motorcycle accident about nine books into the, the reading of, of Left Behind and uh, was so debilitated that he couldn't even, he could hardly speak again, let alone read and, and do audio readings. But uh, Left Behind was sort of in its heyday then, and, and I had means, and so I was contributing fairly uh, aggressively to a fund that had been set up for his care. It was costing millions to, to, for rehab for him. And really after about six years in rehab, he did, he did pass away. But one day in my office, in fact, sitting right here where I'm sitting today, my secretary buzzed me and she said, Stephen King is on the line for you. And I, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I figured it was one of my brothers or somebody. And I, I uh, almost picked up the phone and said, hello, this is John Grisham, you know, but I thought, well, just in case it's him, I said, this is Jerry. He said, yeah, this is Steve King. And I thought, only Stephen King would call himself Steve. And uh, sure enough, it was him. And he said, that fund you've been giving to, you may not know this, but I established that fund under a different name. I didn't want people to know it was me. But he said, you and I are the only ones that are really giving of any substance to it. And he said, we should do a benefit for Frank. We should go see him in rehab. Uh, and then he said, when we do a benefit, um, you know, you should get the Christian publishers involved and I'll get the New York publishers but he said, get those Christian publishers involved because I know prayer works. And I just about fell off my chair. I mean, I've read some Stephen King stuff and I, I didn't see much in there about prayer. Uh, I did notice that when he does write about church stuff, he gets it right because he was raised, I think, in a mainland church. But I said to him, it may come as a surprise to you, but uh, I'm a reader of yours. And uh, I said, I don't read all the worst, you know, graphic demonic stuff, but like the Green Mile and things like that. And he said, well, this may come as a surprise to you, but I'm a reader of yours. And that did knock me off my chair. I mean, he had read my baseball novel. He's a big baseball fan. And he said Frank Muller, the, the reader, had given him copies of Left Behind, and he'd read that too. And uh, so we did go see uh, Frank Muller in rehab, spent a day together. 
Um, one of the fun things is on the way back to the airport, we stopped the limousine. He had the limousine pull into the drive-through of a McDonald's and we had Big Macs. And the kids were all looking out the window, pointing at Stephen King and we're eating, eating our Big Macs. But we've kept up over the years uh, since then. And, and uh, he's, he's an interesting cat. We would not be um, in agreement on political issues and things like that. And I don't think he claims any faith at this point, but he's very respectful. And, uh, and as I say, he gets it. Um, and, and so he's, be, I can't say he's a friend, but he's, he's become an interesting acquaintance and we do keep up. Mm-hmm. And that is fascinating. Uh, Christiane. Yeah, so Jerry, you began, you know, your career at a very young age as a teenager and as a sports writer and, you know, 206 plus and counting books. And so you've had a tremendous impact and influence, not just in the world of publishing, but beyond. And because I know the Left Behind series went worldwide as well as, you know, several of your other books. And one of the endeavors that you began, you know, after all of that was uh, you began to teach writing courses to aspiring writers. You know, what advice do you give to young writers or even maybe an established writer that's having trouble breaking through? The, the main thing that I try to teach new writers, especially, is that starting your career with a book is like starting your your education as a five-year-old who should go to kindergarten, trying to go to graduate school. Uh, a book is not where you um, start. It's where you arrive. And so I say, in essence, go to kindergarten, learn the craft, start with shorter things, learn to work with an editor, learn the business, get a quarter million cliches out of your system, and, and get to the point where you know you build a little following and then start thinking about, about a book. And that seems counterintuitive because people hear about you know, somebody wrote their first book and it was a multi-million bestseller. Well, it probably wasn't their first bit of writing. Um, they, they, I'm sure, learned the craft before they started there. And, and people even hear about me and they think, you know, Left Behind became this big hit. Well, yeah, I was an overnight success after 125 titles before that. So, um, okay. you know, you really have to, to learn the craft. As far as, as uh, seasoned writers uh, who just haven't broken through yet, basically my, my counsel is, keep learning. We should all be lifetime, lifelong learners. My mother was a tremendous uh, convicting example of that. Um, she's, she's gone you know, more than 10 years now, but uh, into her 80s, she was still a piano uh, teacher and a piano student. Uh, that really is a lesson to me. Uh, even though I've written all these books and I teach a couple thousand writers online at jerryjenkins.com, I'm still learning. I read every writing book I can find. I read the writer magazines. I, I am in writers groups. We need to keep learning. If you're not growing, you're stagnating. Mm-hmm. Jerry, uh, do you have any upcoming projects that we should be aware of that you can give us kind of a sneak peek into your future? Yeah, I'm. Uh, one of the things that I'm uh, really determined to do is not become that guy who used to write and now just teaches writing. I want to still be in the game. So right now I'm writing uh, book three to go along with the third season of The Chosen. Uh, When I finish that, my next project is with the manager of the Kansas City Royals, Mike Matheny. When he was manager of the Cardinals, he and I did a book called The Matheny Manifesto. His uh, interesting ideas about how to coach kids and and how you're not coaching big leaguers, you're you're coaching character and that type of thing. And that became a New York Times bestseller. He's really a well uh, thought out guy and a really outstanding believer. This new book with him is called The Dad Coach, and it's directed toward these 
dads who get pressed into service having to coach their kids' teams, they may not know the game or they may think that they're they're trying to coach big leaguers. And so he's, he's going to teach them uh, character issues and also all the nitty gritty things of, of you know, how to, to run a practice for kids. And then after that, I'm going to update my book that I did actually originated in 1989, a marriage book. It's called Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. And it's about, uh, you know, setting up hedges around your heart and your hands and your eyes. And, you know, it's basically a, men for, a book for men uh, to avoid infidelity. And the sad part is that that book is as is, is needed now as it was in 1989, if not more so. Um, so those those are the projects I'm uh, working on and have in, in, uh, in the queue. Outstanding. Well, we look forward to that. That's a great title, Hedges. Love that. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, your website, jerryjenkins.com. Uh, as Christiane mentioned about your teaching courses, where can uh, aspiring writers find that? That's the best place. If they just go to jerryjenkins.com, it lists you know a lot of things I'm doing, but but it, it shows you how to get to the uh, my Jerry Jenkins Writers Guild, and we have everything from free blogs and daily tips and videos all the way up to courses you can purchase and and subscriptions you can buy to the, to the guild. And uh, so there's really something there for everybody, I think, if they want to be a writer. Outstanding, Christiane. Any closing comments? You know, I just want to say thank you. I, you know, it was so great to chat with you, just to find out the inspiration for several of your books, and just you know, just learning from you. You know, like you said, we need to be lifelong learners, and um, this was a learning opportunity for me as well. I, I appreciate that, Dave and Christiane. I got one last question. I got to ask you. You know, uh, one of our dear friends, uh, he's a parent parent of the Jonas brothers, Kevin Jonas. And I asked him, what's the it? And he said, uh, pitch. If you don't have pitch, there's only so much they can do on the road. And obviously his kids are super talented, have amazing pitch. Uh, I went with them to a concert recently uh, there in Vegas. Amazing talent. What's the it in a successful book? You know, I think it's authenticity. I think, if, you know, people can read between the lines. And if you're vulnerable and you tell the truth, the closer you get to the bone, I, I talked to a lot of people who are writing memoirs and they say there's, there's some difficult areas they don't want to cover. And I say, those are the ones you want to cover. You may have to protect some identities. You may have to camouflage some details, but tell the truth. Um, readers have truth radar. And if you do that and you're authentic, I think that's the that's the it for somebody who's uh, writing. Wow. Well, my friend, you've nailed the it. Yes. That's for sure. So grateful for your life and your wife and your ministry. You've impacted millions around the world. Honored to have you today. Well, I feel blessed. And thanks so much, Dave and Christian, for having me on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.